So I want to introduce you guys to a phenomenal panel today. Um, we've got Dark One. Are you there? I am. All right. We've got Helbra. Are you there? I am. All right. We've got T-Off. That's Miss T-Off for those of you who are nasty. Are you out there, Miss T-Off? I'm right here. All right. And I am your host, Luna Ma. So our conversation today is definitely one that is going to be exciting. We're uh, going to obviously reference some articles that we've read and would love to hear your comments below. So our conversation today is hypergamy and its existence in Black relationships. So before we delve into the topic, I just want to, as you heard that topic, what was there for you? Well, what was there for me is that the uh, uniqueness of the situation as it pertains to Black people is that from just what I'm seeing from everyday life, it would appear that uh, the opportunity to date and marry within the concept of hypergamy is much less available to specifically Black women as opposed to women of other races and ethnicities. Got that. Thanks, Helbra. And, you know, let me just take a step back because I'm, I'm presuming that our audience is all familiar with hypergamy becoming a, a trending popular term today. But for those of you who are new to the term, let me just give you a very generic definition. Hypergamy is the action of marrying a person of a superior caste or class. And so in everyday language, colloquially, we would say that's marrying up, right? Hypergamy. Thank you, Helbra. I'm going to move now to Dark One. I just want to know, what were your thoughts when you heard the title, the topic for today's discussion? I guess for me, I'm familiar with it. I think in dating, I have experienced that desire from women I've dated in the past. And I've also kind of watched as the financial dynamics of Black men and women have changed over the years. So from my perspective, I see it changing and wonder how Black women will adjust to that change as the seesaw gradually shifts to balance and even towards women making more money than men. Got it. Got it. Thanks, Dark One. And we're definitely going to unpack some of those articles that, that would suggest what you just mentioned, this shift, right? So let's go next to T-Off, and then we are going to jump into the topic at hand. T-Off, what what did you hear? What showed up for you when you heard that topic and, and or why is this a topic that is of interest to you? Hypergamy and its existence in Black relationships. Teal? It's a topic of interest to me because it's, you know, been a longstanding practice. It's kind of new to our vernacular, so to speak. This is something that we're just learning about as a community, I think. I mean, unless you're a social scientist or an anthropologist, you wouldn't know what that is. And to add on to what's already been said, as far as it not being available to black women, there is another layer to that because within the black community, black women also have to deal with colorism. So when you are a black woman with dark skin, for example, not only is hypergamy not available to you, you're likely to even have any relationship at all. That's another aspect of it that I think is not, while people are discussing it, that's another aspect of it that I think a lot of people are not addressing, that colorism impacts who is able to marry up within the black community, particularly when it comes to women. Got it. And I would assert, just based on what you just shared, Tiaf, as it relates not just to women, but now you added another layer that's quite interesting, you know, 
in terms of, you know, this whole broader context of colorism, right? So you talked about, you know, women who are darker in complexion. And, and are you comfortable just sharing your view on that as it relates to women who are darker in complexion? More to the point, Tioff, how would you describe yourself in terms of complexion? Well, I am of the, uh, of the darker-hued segment of the Black female community. Got it. And you know, just based on my experience, just things, not even with regards to hypergamy specifically, but just in terms of dating and how I am perceived by men or by people in general, people think that I'm, quite frankly, people make the assumption that I'm sexually loose. I have been solicited like a prostitute on more than one occasion, not just by white men, but even like with online dating, for example, um, I have had black men on online dating sites solicit me to, they were pimps, and asked me to work for them. So there's a lot of things that being a dark-skinned black woman that you have to deal with in terms of how people see you. It's like we don't even get out of the gate because we're so heavily marginalized and stereotyped that we don't even get out of the gate when it comes to dating, when it comes to relationships for a lot of us, let alone hypergamy. Got that. Well, I tell you what, this is going to be a great discussion. I really appreciate the panelists sounding off on why this topic was, of course, of interest and importance to each of them. So I want to just start with some of the benefits of marriage, right? So we talk about marrying up, aka hypergamy, but what is really the view in our society about marriage? And so one of the articles that many of the panelists referenced is the article in the National Center for Biotechnology Information, NCBI for short. And in this article, it speaks to what are some of the unique benefits of marriage. And, um, and then, of course, this will dovetail into the broader conversation on, on hypergamy. So as it states here in the article, marriage uniquely offers benefits in the physical, psychological, and financial well-being. Children raised in marriage-based households also exhibit more favorable developmental outcomes over time. For many Black adults who do not wish to marriage, to marry, excuse me, marriage seems to be an elusive goal. They are not turning away from marriage. On the contrary, members of the Black community still respect the institution of marriage and its symbolic value. Given that, stable, satisfying marriages have been associated with positive outcomes. Single black women may not be reaping the rewards that marriage offers. So that's one paragraph packed with a lot of good information that we can certainly tease out. But the main thing that we want to discuss is, would all of you on this panel agree that marriage is in fact, beneficial. And if not, that's okay. But I just want to go ahead and for the audience's benefit, kind of do a peek into what our panelists' views are on marriage itself before we even talk about hypergamy or hypogamy, right? So let's go back to just polling the audience on whether or not you view marriage as a benefit, okay? So the the logic here is, as I read, that marriage provides benefits such as physical, psychological, and financial well-being. Uh, Helbra, do you agree that marriage is beneficial? And this is just a yay or nay, and then we'll get into um, the conversation on hypergamy. Um, I do not. That's a nay. Okay, got it. I do not agree with that, yes. Okay, we're definitely going to come back to that. That's news for me. All right. You think you know your panelists, folks. Dark one, was that a yay or nay for you? I think it's a yay. 
It's a yay. Got that. Mm-hmm. And tee off, is that a yay or nay for you? That would be a nay. Okay. I tell you what, man, I am learning a lot about my panelists today. And this is, you know, not a make wrong, but obviously you're hearing that some of the panelists view this institution of marriage, this construct as being beneficial, dark one being one. I'm going to throw myself in there. This is Luna Ma. I'm on the yay side. And then we have two nays. We've got tee off and we've got Helbra. So let's start with the nays. And remember, nays, you're going to speak to marriage not being something that you see as a benefit and where this fits in with your views on hypergamy. So let's go ahead and start with, did I say Helbra or tee off? Uh, we can do ladies first. Ah, that's awesome. All right. So he doesn't agree, folks, in the institution of marriage, but notice some of the societal norms of letting women go first. We'll get back to that, uh, Helper. (laughs) So Tioff, talk to us about it. You are a nay. So how are you able to either juxtapose your thoughts on hypergamy and your thoughts on marriage, or how do they intersect, Tioff? The reason why I say nay is not because I don't believe that there is no benefit to marriage and that I don't believe hypergamy exists is just not accessible to most people. So if it's accessible to you, then yes, the benefits of marriage, if it's accessible to you, then yes, it, it could work. But if it's not accessible to you, then it doesn't really matter. Okay. So you bring up accessibility and your assertion is the value of a service or product is based on its accessibility? Everything that everything that we do as humans, everything that we want, everything that we desire, all boils down to an availability of resources. And some people have access to those resources and some don't. Could a woman benefit from both hypergamy and marriage? Of course she could. Same thing with a man, but if you don't have access to a suitable spouse that has the qualities that would make for a good marriage, then no. I mean, because you can still get married, but if you marry the wrong person, then it's not. there's no benefit to that marriage. There's so much I wanted to really tease out from that, but I want to, in the interest of time, move this next to Helbra. Talk to us about your thoughts around how hypergamy relates to your views itself on marriage. The only real way I can say it connects is, you know, I believe, and I'm, for the most part, I'm not going to go off of actual sources. Uh, My debate style is very uh, barbershop talk-like, so it's basically just me, you know, saying from what I see and what I experience. But um, I believe the concept of marriage itself to whenever it originated back in, you know, biblical days or whatever, but it was mostly the man having possession over the woman, if what I've read and been taught is true. And to fast forward it to present day, I believe divorce rate is, I would say, in the mid to high 40s, if not in the 50s right now. With most of those divorces, the vast amount being initiated by the woman. So I guess you can connect it that way, whether it be the concept of hypergamy or hypogamy, Marriage is clearly something that has proven to not be an enjoyable experience, specifically from the viewpoint of the woman. Uh-huh. You're thinking yeah, so the viewpoint of the woman only? Just in terms of um, the concept of hypergamy and hypogamy, you know, that it seemed like we were speaking from the aspect of women. This this conversation, you're right, has been planted more towards the benefit of hypergamy as it relates to women. Right. That being right. said, 
I want you to finish your thought, Helpera, because Dark One want to get you in on this conversation for sure. And Dark One actually has done some research on those very statistics that you allude to, Helpera. So we're going to get into that a little bit, as well as Dark One and myself. We're the ones who still believe in marriage. <laughs> so we may change our views after this conversation. But um, finish your thought, Helpera. <laughs> No, I mean, it's it's just so many thoughts. I don't want to take up too much time, but I mean, I think you can speak on to what men feel they need from a relationship as opposed to what women feel they need from a relationship. You can speak on to what is valued from each sex and gender in the opposite sex and gender. So many, you know, points that can be made from so many different angles. So I think I'll just wait to loop around and let everybody, you know, speak on their yays or nays to marriage first. Yeah, no, we appreciate that, Helbra. So Dark One, having heard Tioff and Helbra speak to their reasons on naying marriage, you are one of the yays. So Dark One, we'll turn it to you. Okay. So yeah, I I think that a commodity is valuable even if it's not accessible or can be valuable even if it's not accessible to you. So I'm going to try to think outside of myself really in the conversation as well as think about my personal experience. So I think that uh, marriage as an institution is valuable just simply on its empirical value. So you have twice the amount of resources being leveraged towards a shared goal. And that generally speaking and historically speaking has empowered people to create greater outcomes. So it has its innate value from my perspective. In terms of its value to me, I'm not yet married, although I'm getting closer. I think that from a man's perspective, it has been challenging to find a situation where I was, that there was a fair amount or a reasonable amount of balance in terms of my earning potential, let's say, versus my potential as a person in general. You know, I think that the desire for Black women to date up has always been present in my dating experiences, not necessarily in a way that I have found to be beneficial, i.e. you have to look out for those women who are just trying to date you because they see you as a good catch from a financial perspective and try to find someone who sees you as a person first and foremost and treats you as such. So I think that while we may have a challenge in our community for Black women to date up, Black men have their own challenges of being treated as people as opposed to paychecks. That being said, I'm still not jaded to the institution of marriage. I think we all have our individual responsibilities to ourselves to create the situations we want. We have to be on our Quincy Jones joint. You know, failure is not an option. If you want the thing, you have to make it happen, despite whatever obstacles, because you really have no choice in the matter. That's how I look at it. So I think, though, in regards to Helbra's statement about increasing divorces initiated by women, I think there's something natural about that. You know, I think as women become empowered, they use that empowerment. So if I'm no longer as beholden to a man in order to survive and succeed, then I act accordingly. So I think it's very natural for women to say, you know what, I'm not gonna sit around for this dynamic anymore. But I think the dynamic is changing. And regardless of whether or not we appreciate that change, we have to adjust to it. So women are going to continue becoming more empowered and women are going to act on their behalfs more so. And men are going to get less empowered in the dynamic of being the breadwinner and having the exorbitant amount of control over the relationship that being the breadwinner brings. So as that balance occurs, we as a people have to adjust to it. And I think it's 
long overdue and necessary for women to have a more egalitarian dynamic in terms of the composition of their relationships. And I think it's also advantageous to men for women to make more money and be more empowered. So I'm excited about what that future holds for us, where we will treat each other in a more balanced way and then also be equally empowered to succeed. So we have a responsibility as a people to make that work for us. So, you know, that's kind of my perspective on it. I think it's a beautiful thing for us as people. We just need to figure it out. Well, you said it best, Dark One. You know, you quoted Quincy Jones, and one of my favorite quotes from him is, the process is the most beautiful part. And you talk about we got to figure it out as a people, you know, as far as how do we either um, have this institution of marriage benefit us in such a way that it is left on for generations to generations to to experience because I'm one of the people who is, of course, in favor and still am in favor of marriage because I do see the benefits. I do see, and just looking at my own family, <laughs> you know, uh, the impact broken homes have had, right? And so I assert that when a, a husband and a wife or two wives or two husbands are together and they can provide a healthy home, be it, you know, because of finances and of course the emotional support is necessary as well. I do see that benefiting everyone, the parents and the children, if there are children. You touched on something, Dark One, people versus paychecks. And because myself, Luma and Tioff are the women of this panel, I got to have Tioff weigh in on that and we'll circle back to Helpra. What are your thoughts when you hear that tee off? Are you of the mindset that we as women see men as people or paychecks? Tee off? Well, I personally don't see men as paychecks. I'm all about respecting and valuing people's humanity, regardless of gender, whether or not you're in a relationship. So I'm speaking as a single woman, but if I were to be involved with someone, I'm not just looking at them like, oh, you know, oh, he's a paycheck. He's a meal ticket. Like you hear stories of women saying they go out with guys to get free meals or whatever. You know, I'm not, I'm not down with that sort of thing, but I am going to play devil's advocate for a quick second, just to, um, you know, add on to what Dark One was saying in other cultures. And I will give an example, like Asian culture, you know, study, you know, things about Asian culture. I've had a lot of Asian friends. I've had a lot of Asian women friends. And I have both South Asian and East Asian women friends. And they are very forthcoming about the fact if you don't have any cash, they're not going to marry you. Like, for example, you hear a lot of talk about American men, both black and white, how they want Asian women, how they're so much more submissive and how they're this and they're that. And American women are gold diggers, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you must not have spent any time around Asian women if you believe that because they are, if you don't have a career and a future, they are not going to mess with you. And they are very forthcoming about it. Like I know an Asian woman, she's, you know, I don't want to give out too much information, but you know, she's an Asian woman and in her culture, you know, it is expected that if you're in a relationship with someone and it's going to lead to marriage, that he needs to have a good career and a good future. And she was with someone who was not Asian. Her boyfriend is white. And she was like talking about how she broke up with them. And I was like, I'm not trying to be in your business, but what happened? She was like, you know, I am on a career trajectory. I'm going somewhere in my life, in my career. He does this certain type of job for a living. That is not acceptable to me and my parents. He's not going anywhere. So I broke it off with him. And she said it with no shame, no hesitation. 
Don't you think that is that's the case here in America too, though, where women don't want to date men who don't have a you know appear to have a quote unquote future financially sure, or sure. Of course, wise? There, that is the case. There are women who feel that way, but within the black community, as a, as a black woman, you can't say it. If you say it out loud, you're going to get a lot of pushback and be like, "Why can't you just marry the garbage man? You think you're too good because you got this college education. Why don't you just marry the garbage man? Why aren't you too good for this guy that why Why do you feel like you're too good?" for this guy that works at Burger King. If if you as a black woman express what I just, you know, shared and what you pointed out, I'm not saying that it doesn't exist, but at least among black people, like black women, you can't, you can't say it because then you're accused of being a gold digger or you're accused of thinking that you're too good. Like I was in a forum years ago that was uh, run by a friend of mine and a lot of the black men were complaining, saying that, oh, black women are checking men's credit scores now and don't be with a woman who wants to know your credit score. Well, you know, speaking as an adult, having good credit is important. Why would you take offense to that? You can't get an apartment. You can't get a car. You can't get a house. You can't even get a job without good credit. So what is so horrible about a woman wanting to be in a relationship if she's intending to have a future with that person? What is wrong with a woman wanting to know or a black woman wanting to know that that man has good credit when we all know that you can't get anything without good credit? If your spouse has good credit, it's going to ruin yours. So it's important. So that's a great segue tee off and you have teed off. And we appreciate that. I want to ask the men, because this is important, right? We're talking about hypergamy. So let's get on the court with our panelists as far as our dating experiences. So Tioff talks about this. It's almost taboo to say out loud to your potential partner, you know, hey, I don't want to date someone that's making less than me or doesn't, whose personal economics doesn't reflect mine. Let's talk about dating experiences to the extent that you're comfortable, of course. Based on what you just heard Tioff share, Helbra, what's your experience been? Are women seeing you as a person or as a paycheck? Helbra? What I've personally experienced, no, I haven't experienced a woman judging me based off of my earnings. I honestly feel like first we should define what is dating up. I mean, in terms of a nature versus social concept, you know, speaking from that perspective, could the man that is the strongest or the man that is the best hunter, that would be considered dating up. So you bring up a good point. You bring up a really good point, Helper. We're going to bracket that and come back to it because in our research, what you're suggesting is it's a larger, more complex conversation around marrying up, hypergamy. It's not just you know, for, for one person, hypergamy could be in the domain of, we're adults, sexual performance. <laughs> that Absolutely. could be considered marrying up. It could be in the domain of financial resources. You know, uh, Dark One introduced this people versus paychecks. You know, and Tioff talked about why economics is important. So you're absolutely right, Helbra, that it could be on several different domains when we talk about hypergamy. And in fact, in a discussion before the mics were on, Dark One talked about educational hypergamy. So let me go now to Dark One. We're going to bracket what you just shared, Helbra. It's a, it's a very important point that you've introduced to the mix. Dark One, talk to us about your experience. It doesn't have to be current. It could be past about dating and do women see you as the person or as a paycheck? And then if you would tie in what Helbra introduced, which is the different domains of 
hypergamy and what some of the research you have found has yielded as it relates to those different domains. Dark okay. one? Yep. So I think touching on what Tioff touched on, I think that in my experience, the more educated the Black woman is, the more challenging she is to date, historically, in my experience. And that's, I often find that the greater the challenge, the greater the reward. But I think that an educated Black woman will generally not have a problem sharing with you that a part of your appeal is that you have a good earning potential. That's what I've heard. Educated Black women generally don't have a problem communicating that to you. It's not the singular, necessarily the singular defining factor that in their decision making, but it is an important factor. And generally, they're confident enough to share that with you. I want someone that is in a similar sort of bracket as I am. Most of the women I've dated have no problem sharing that. They want to feel that they're taken care of. They want someone to take care of them, too. So I happen to be dating an accountant, and she has no issue sharing with me her financial desires for us as a couple. So the conversation about credit scores, what's in your 401k, how much you have saved, all of those conversations have been broached in the two years we've been dating. So it's a necessary aspect to getting on the same page. Of course, I want to know the same things about her. And from my perspective as a man, I don't want to date a woman that is far below me because that imbalance, I don't want to have someone riding my coattails my entire life. I want a partner I can work with. So I need to interject um, there. Uh, I think an important concept to this that Dark One just brought up is that from the two different genders, I think from men's perspective, a woman doesn't really need to have all the things for us to be attracted to them that men need to have for women to be attracted to them. That is so true. I'll, I'll stop, though. I won't say anything else. Yeah. Well, and, and this is good. This is good. So hold that point, Helbra. If you're just joining us, we're talking about hypergamy in Black relationships. I've got an esteemed panel here. We've got Dark One hailing out of Georgia, Helbra hailing out of Georgia. We've got Tioff hailing out of Chicago, your host, Luna Ma, right here in Georgia. And this is some really important information that we're sharing, our thoughts, our research, our hearts on this conversation. Please weigh in, comment below so we can either do part two of this conversation or we can um, take a tangent and talk about your thoughts on this program. So I really need you, Helbra, and Tioff to talk about what you just discussed. Talk to us about what those differences are. I think that's really important that you mentioned that. You said men are looking for certain things that maybe women aren't looking for when we talk about compatibility that would lead to marriage. So if you could talk to it from your vantage point as a male, Helbra, and then we'll circle back to tee off from a female's vantage point. So what are you looking for in a female from a male's perspective? So I can't really go into because I don't have a list of what I'm looking for. But the general point is that me speaking from a heterosexual man, what men require in a woman for her to be a suitable partner is actually much less than what the modern woman requires from a man to be considered a suitable partner for her. Let's connect that to the concept of hypergamy and hypogamy. That's what I feel is an important discussion that I think we've kind of skipped over. 
No, that's, I'm, I'm glad that you're, you're, you're bringing us present to it. So, so helper, this is good. So you don't have a list per se. We know that dark one is Most dating someone. <laughs> okay, okay. We're going to challenge that with dark one right now. And then I want to come to tee off and hear her thoughts about what we as women may be looking for, as you put it, Helbra, as suitable marriage mates. So let's go to you, Dark One. What are some of those things? I know what Helbra has stated is resonates with all of us. So what are you looking for, Dark One? I think relationships are built on value and values. The value you have for each other and shared values. So I'm looking for someone with similar values. I think I've found someone with similar values. So you want to have similar goals, similar things that you're about in terms of how you want to see your relationship evolve. So I think that has been what I've been looking for. And part of that is I want someone that's enterprising, um, not someone that is only concerned about whether or not I'm enterprising so that we can really build a team and work together to achieve our shared goals. That's really what I'm looking for. There are numerous nuances to it. Of course, you want someone that's attractive. And for me, as an educated person, I want someone that's educated as well. Their level of education isn't as important as their ability to understand higher thinking concepts and converse well. And my mom's a teacher. I want to be able to take her home to mom and have them be able to have a decent conversation and so forth. So I have a bunch of educated friends of numerous nationalities and ethnicities and all that as well. I think I generally try to carry myself with class and I want a woman that has some class as well. So I think we are kind of, we're in a volley. We're in a relationship volley, like a tennis match where there's evolution on one side of the gender uh, net, let's say. And as the ball goes to one side and there's evolution, it gets bounced back to the other side with that evolved state. And the other gender then has to evolve to adapt to that evolution. So I think we continually force each other to step our game up. You know, as women get more educated, they force men to step their game up. And I think that what is valuable to the educated Black woman in this world now, they are not just looking for you to be great in bed or for you to have a great paycheck or for you to be strong. They're looking for all of those things. Absolutely. Okay, let's talk about that. So let's go to tee off because that was really a, a great insight into Dark One's list, right? So he talks about values. He talks about, you know, being a, a classy man. Can we, uh, Alexa, can you play that Jadonna classic man? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know, knowing you, Dark One, personally, I definitely know you're a classic man. And then you, you interestingly, I don't know if this was intentionally, but you interestingly left the aesthetics for the last thing you mentioned, and you talked about, of course, wanting to be attracted to your potential spouse. So let's talk about then, tee off hearing Dark One talk about what he's looking for, Helper mentioned he doesn't really have a list right now. What are you looking for in a potential mate? And then I'd like to hear your concluding thoughts, yours being all of the panelists here today, on where hypergamy, where you see the future of hypergamy, and perhaps even the implications as it relates to your personal life. But before we get there, talk to us, Tioff, about what you're looking for in a potential mate. Tioff? Oh, wow. This is this is kind of a tough question for me to answer because I've been single for so long that I'm just kind of not really looking for anything at this point. You know, speaking authentically, I just, I've just not had a good experience with dating. So now I'm just kind of just like hanging back. But if I were to look for someone, I just want somebody who is a nice, decent, kind person who has values and morals because I consider myself to be humanistic or humanist and I want someone else who is a humanist 
who also has, you know, humor is very important to me as well. I'm not the kind of woman who's ever been, oh, he needs to drive this kind of car and he needs to make $250,000 a year, blah, blah, blah. You know, I've never been that way, but I do want someone who is, you know, obviously you want an adult who works and takes care of their business. You know, someone who is, who is responsible, you know, with their finances. That's the biggest part for me, not so much as how much someone has, but what they do with what they have. Because you can make a lot of money, but if you're frivolous with your spending or if you don't know how to budget, it really doesn't matter. So as far as, like, money, you know, I look at responsibility first. I don't know if that, you know, makes sense. (laughs) And looks are important to me. I need to be attracted to this person (laughs) as well. But I wanted to circle back to something that Helper said as far as, well, you said you don't have a list. And at least what I found for men in uh, Dark One is um, you may disagree because I, you know, what you look for, what you have in your current partnership, I really don't hear a lot of men say that now. I'm not saying that it's rare, but at least, again, in my experience and what I've observed is that the better a woman looks, the more money a man is willing to spend or the more he's willing to do for her. Okay, stop it right there, tee off. As always, tee off is teeing off. Where are my ladies at? Please comment. We have to get some other female comments here. This is a game changer that tee off just mentioned. Now we're introducing is hypergamy, which domain, you know, Helper talked earlier about there are several domains for hypergamy. Tee off just threw a bomb into the conversation and said that aesthetics can, in fact, support why some women are able to, with ease and facility, climb the social ranks through hypergamy. I got to have Dark One weigh in. I got to come back to Helbra. And then we're going to wrap up in the next few minutes with closing arguments. Please weigh in on that, Dark One. Are attractive women able to, with style and grace, shout out to my biggie fans, accomplish hypergamy? Talk to us about that, Dark One. I think there is some merit to that. Absolutely. And when you spoke about my listing of attributes, I didn't lean on attraction very much because to me, it is a given. From my perspective, it's a given that I want an attractive woman. It's a given that most people want attractive, significant others. So whatever that definition of attraction is. So I do think that the more attractive a woman is, the more the more opportunity she has to find a significant other. I think there's something natural to that because beyond aesthetics, there isn't much merit to being beautiful. But historically, the world has appreciated beautiful people. So there's science to that. There's a reason babies have big eyes and they're cute. It's so that they will be cared for. And I think that same thing extends to adults. Attractive people have privileges that unattractive people don't. It's unfortunate. There's not much merit to it, but it's true. I just had to add really quick. I know we're (laughs) wrapping up here. Um, And I say it because I've literally witnessed it with my own two eyes among my male friends that when they meet that really hot chick, whatever that is for them, whether it's the breast implants or whatever it is about her that looks good to them, first of all, when they would talk to me about these women, they would just always carry on about how good these women looked. And I would just watch these men come out of their pockets thousands of dollars on these women where otherwise they didn't do it for other women. But the women that they thought were super hot, 
they would spend thousands of thousands of dollars, money that they didn't even have. Like I had a guy friend that he was with the woman. She was absolutely gorgeous. He paid for her to get breast implants. Um, he moved her into a nice apartment and beautifully furnished it and just did all of these things for her where I saw him. Otherwise, he was cheap and would not spend his money on women and would expect women to pay for things for him. But when he finally met that woman that had the look that he liked, then he came out of his pocket. But what ended up happening in that situation is once, I guess she got whatever she wanted out of him financially, she left him and then cleaned out his bank account. Interesting. I, I, I want to respond yeah, to that, that one because I think it speaks to other things that are often unconversed about as well. So historically speaking, Helbrook mentioned that women used to be a possession. You know, you would give 20 head of cattle to their father to get this woman into your household and she would be yours. And I think that hypergamy has led to this concept of women as a commodity historically, where it doesn't matter what the woman has in her head or her earning potential or any of that, if she's beautiful, she is a commodity because you are really purchasing that commodity historically. And many women have played off of that. Many women have used what they've got to get what they want, historically speaking. It's your thing, do what you want to do sort of mentality. And that's been promoted by women. So, Well, black you know, women are actually discouraged from it, but that's another topic. Continue. Well, yeah, but I think just globally, all women, the beautiful women have been a commodity and men have sought to acquire them in terms of what we consider to be valuable in a woman as a gender. There doesn't have to be much merit for a woman to be considered to be valuable, but it's when you get to higher levels of thinking and when you get to more practical goals that you start to take into account what else the woman brings with her besides beauty. And there are lots of beautiful women out there, but not equally, the ratio is probably equal to the amount of beautiful women or quote unquote, not so beautiful women who actually have true merit in terms of their character. It's got to be 50-50 or whatever. So you get past the looks at a certain point if you are an educated man. And again, having a degree does not mean that you are truly educated in my perception. So I think when you are really working your game, you get beyond that. And you're like, okay, that's great. You're beautiful and everything. But, you know, what are you about? What's in your head? What are you trying to do with your life? Because I found many beautiful women to be really ugly people inside or to be really completely about just riding your coattails, which doesn't make for a good partnership. So I think that we are our own worst enemies in many ways. You know, men pay to play. And women play that same game from the other side oftentimes. But again, it's natural and evolutionary. Understood, understood. This is great. So in the interest of just wrapping up our segment, this is, I tell you what, guys, really great points, Dark One and Tee Off. And I just want to want to um, go back to something that we took a look at in our research, because I really think that Tee Off is speaking to this. This is an article from the Institute for Family Studies, and it talks about the mismatch for minority and African-American women as it relates to hypergamy. So Obviously, the conversation just a few moments ago was around the aesthetics and, and Dark One made great points that, yeah, beauty essentially, you know, just to paraphrase, will fade. But the true character and merit of a woman is something that he's most interested in. And, of course, he often talked you know, passionately about stories that are real to her. These are people she knows, not just stories she's read about where a man was willing to spend thousands on a woman based on, air quotes, beauty. And so this is definitely a great conversation to add more context to the broader discussion on hypergamy. But I do want it to represent us to this article and where it talks in statistics 
about African-American women and minority women being in these mismatched relationships where obviously there is either hypogamy or hypergamy at play. So as we wrap up our discussion, this has been really great. I want to just do a um, round robin with our panelists. We're going to go from dark one to help run. We're going to close with tee off. Just what would your closing thoughts be on this discussion of hypergamy? We've moved through, through many places in this discussion. We've talked about our personal account as it relates to dating. And as women, do we see men as people or paychecks? We've talked about the different domains of hypergamy, you know, whether as Helbra stated, if marrying up for one person may be different for someone else. And we talked about the different domains, educational hypergamy, physical hypergamy, right? And so, um, and we also talked about what hypergamy means for the future. I believe, and keep me honest, Dark One, you can talk about this in in your wrap-up section, whether or not you mentioned the, the article that talks about hypergamy may be a thing of the past in the next 50 years. In fact, I think this was in our pre-recording session. So, um, Dark One, please give us your final thoughts, sir. Um, so yeah, to respond to your point, so yeah, the article that I use as research is entitled The End of Hypergamy, Global Trends and Implications from the NCBI. That article states that by 2050, in you know, 30 years from now, hypergamy will be a thing of the past on a global level, where at least educational hypergamy, which leads to financial hypergamy, that women will be more educated than men as a whole globally. And so I think we have to begin to prepare for that change. Uh, I think we're naturally dealing with it, but not necessarily from a point of empowerment, because it seems as if, based on some aspects of the conversation, that Black women feel that an opportunity is not available to them. But it's only because opportunity is available to them why the opportunity for hypergamy is fading. Women are now more and more empowered, and there's less of a need for hypergamy and less opportunity for hypergamy as a result of women's empowerment. So I think we have to think about where we want to be in 30 years as a people, because we have to find a way to deal with hypergamy, hypogamy, or the extinction of both, let's say, or either, potentially, definitely hypergamy from a woman's perspective in the near future. As a man, I'm extremely interested in it because women have been so accustomed to this dynamic that is thousands of years old, and I see the resistance to what I consider to be reasonable evolution because of this change now, meaning that women still want to be treated like it was the 1600s. However, their paychecks, their earning potential, their level of empowerment mentally, how they think they should be treated and the level of empowerment that they should have in relationships is no longer the, I gave your dad 50 head of cattle, I own you dynamic. It is now, I don't need a man to do anything for me. I can do whatever I want to do. You're going to talk to me a certain sort of way. You know, I deserve a certain amount of respect in this relationship. We as men have to adjust to that. And so do women, but they don't want to adjust their perceptions of being taken care of. So I think there are numerous challenges we have in getting on the same page. Understood. Wow. I so want to weigh in on Dark One's comments. His wrap-up is another conversation. Yeah, that conversation has a conversation in and of itself. That was beautiful. Um, well, let's go ahead with your three minutes, Helbra, and it begins right now. Helbra? Yeah, well, I just feel that hypergamy and hypogamy are simply social constructs and everyone should be with who makes them happy and no matter what way they make them happy. I'd also like to just say it's important to understand what makes 
speaking from a heterosexual viewpoint, what makes men attracted to women and what makes women attracted to men, for example, I think it's important to remember a woman being highly educated and having a highly paid job in all likelihood makes no difference to a man in terms of how attractive he finds her. I also think it's important to remember that, you know, other aspects that men value in women, including beauty, the opposite can relate to women in terms of what women value in most cases is that security and that stability. So I think there are a lot of things as far as nature that we need to um, remember when having these discussions. And overall, you know, we have to remember that, you know, what we get out of life isn't determined by what we deserve, but, you know, by what we are able to negotiate for ourselves. I'll leave it at that. Oh my God! Once again, I, I love that quote too. By up. the way, I love that quote, Helbra. Yeah, man, these, these wrap ups need a wrap up. Thank you, Helbra. We're now going to go to T off. T off, you have three minutes for your wrap up. So much to unpack from just what Dark One and Helbra shared, so you can incorporate that in your wrap up, or you may go a different direction. That's what we love about T off. We never know. We never know what we're going to get. So T off, you're up. The only wrap up that I have is. Hypogamy traditionally is practiced more by men than women. I do believe in the black community is practiced more by black women and that black women who are more educated and have good jobs tend to marry down themselves. Uh, if we're going to talk about hypogamy, hypergamy, black women who are educated tend to date or marry down and they are often encouraged to do so. I just feel like speaking quite frankly that a lot of black women, when it comes to hypergamy, we just don't have a dog in this fight because it's always been, you know, with a lot of the racism and socioeconomic issues that we've had to deal with as a people in America, that this hasn't really been much of an option because, you know, there is a lot of poverty in the black community. And as black women do get more and more educated, they're pricing themselves out of the market because within the black community, there aren't a lot of men available who can match them education-wise or even job-wise as, you know, more black women begin to get educated and pretty much out-earn a lot of men. And I do find that in a lot of situations, many men do tend to resent women who earn more than them. And in those instances, it does result in a domestic violence. That's another issue. But I just feel like while it's being discussed more, it's not going to happen much because it's just not an option for a lot of us. Got it, tee off. All right. Well, really rich discussions. And as a panelist, as a, as a team, we may, in our review of this session, decide to do some tangential discussions. But of course, we want to hear from you, our listeners. Please comment below. Let us know what you liked, what you didn't like, what you wish we had explored, what was missing. We want to hear from you so we can come back to the mic and talk more. So thank you so much for joining us today. I want to thank again this wonderful group of people who are friends of mine, family members, just really great to have you guys here. Helbra, we appreciate you weighing in. Of course, Dark One, same here. And of course, tee off. And if, if you guys already, I'm sure, have noticed, we have a three-member panel, two males, one female. I serve as your host, Luna Ma. If you're interested in joining the panel, please comment below. Let us know. We'll invite you on as a guest, or maybe you'll be a resident panelist. So thank you guys so much for your time and your attention. Stay informed. <laughs>